0: with our forebears. It is about our personal reactions to the challenges of living in previous centuries and earlier cultures, and our understanding of what makes one century different from another. The nearest historians have come to considering the past at first-hand is the genre of what-if, or virtual history. This is where historians consider what would have happened if things had turned out differently. For example, what if Hitler had invaded Britain in 1940? What if the Spanish Armada had been successful? While such speculations are open to the obvious criticism that these things did not happen, with the implication that there is no point considering them, they have the great virtue of taking the reader directly to a moment in time and presenting events as if they were still unfolding. This can bring a real immediacy to a narrative. Put yourself in the shoes of the Duke of Wellington at Waterloo, or Nelson at Trafalgar. They are only too well aware of the consequences of defeat. So too were their political masters back in England. They certainly considered the past that never was. So, to reconstruct what might otherwise have happened, brings us closer to those leaders in the moments of their decision-making. Just think. If Henry IV had not returned to England in 1399 to remove Richard II from power, we would have had several more years, perhaps many more, of Richard's tyrannical rule, probably resulting in the destruction of the Lancastrian dynasty and all those who supported it. In the spring of 1399 that likelihood was the key political issue and one of the reasons why Henry did return. It was also the principal reason why so many men supported him. In this way, it is clear that seeing events as happening is crucial to a proper understanding of the past, even if the results are just as speculative now as they were at the time. Virtual history, as just described, is only useful for understanding political events. It has relatively little value for social history. We cannot profitably speculate on what might have happened if, say, the Black Death had not come to Europe. It was not a matter of decision-making. But as with the reconstruction of a typical medieval house, virtual time travel allows us a clearer, more integrated picture of what it was like to live in a different age. In particular, it raises many questions which previously may not have even occurred to us, and which do not necessarily have easy answers. How do people greet each other in the Middle Ages? What is their sense of humour like? How far away from home do individuals travel? Writing history from the point of view of our own curiosity forces us to consider a number of questions which traditional history books tend to ignore. Medieval England is potentially a vast destination for the historical traveller. The four centuries between the Norman invasion and the advent of printing see huge changes in society. The Middle Ages are exactly that, a series of ages and a Norman knight would find himself out of place preparing for a late fourteenth-century battle as an eighteenth-century Prime Minister would if he found himself electioneering today. For this reason, this guidebook concentrates on just one century, the fourteenth. This period comes closest to the popular conception of what is medieval, with its chivalry, jousts, etiquette, art and architecture. It might even be considered the epitome of the Middle Ages, containing civil wars, battles against the neighbouring kingdoms of Scotland and France, sieges, outlaws, monasticism, cathedral building, the preaching of friars, the flagellants, famine, the last of the Crusades, the Peasants' Revolt, and, above all else, the Black Death. Having emphasised that the focus of this guidebook is 14th century England, a few caveats must be added. It is not possible to recover every detail of the period on the basis of fourteenth-century English evidence alone. Sometimes the contemporary record is frustratingly incomplete. Also, we cannot always be sure that the manner of doing something in 1320 necessarily held true in 1390. In some cases we can be sure that things changed dramatically. The entire nature of English warfare altered over this period, and so did the landscape of disease with the catastrophic advent of the plague in 1348. Thus, where necessary, details from the 15th century have been used to inform descriptions of the latter part of the 14th century, and the 13th century has been used to inform judgments about the early part. This blurring of time boundaries is only necessary where very difficult questions are raised. For example, we have relatively few sources underpinning our understanding.